to chapter 2 and we'll read together from verse uh, 39. It's page 1028 in your pew Bibles. Luke chapter 2 verse 39. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover, When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Amen. So I committed to looking at the passage that we read a few moments uh, ago together uh, last week. And I thought as I glanced at the passage or read through it the first time, that we might be challenged by the example of Mary and Joseph. I know losing your child for a few days won't feature in the manual for perfect parenthood, uh, but anyone who watched Home Alone again this Christmas will be able to tell you that it's not as difficult as you might think to lose your child or to leave your boy behind. And that's especially true in these circumstances. After the Passover, the the women would have left Jerusalem together en masse, and the men would have stayed behind for most of the day and left much later, and they would only have met together again at the very end of the day at the place that they were staying for that evening. So you can well imagine how Mary may have assumed that Jesus 
was with Joseph and how Joseph may have assumed that Jesus was with Mary. Remember, Jesus is 12 years old. This is the, the, the time in Jewish thought where a boy becomes a man. So you can see how uh, Joseph might have still thought that, that Jesus was with Mary because the boys were with the mothers. And how Mary might have thought that Jesus was with Joseph because Jesus has now turned 12. So we can understand how it's possible for Mary and Joseph to lose, as it were, Jesus for these few days. And with that disclaimer stated, I thought we might consider the example of Mary and Joseph as they set before us uh, a picture of good and godly parenthood. They are committed to raising their child in accordance with the Word and the will of God, in accordance with the law of the Lord, to use the phrase that Luke uses in verse 39. It's a long journey from uh, Jerusalem to Nazareth and from Nazareth to Jerusalem. It's not without risk. It's not without cost. It's not without inconvenience. But God has spoken, and they are determined to honor Him. They are determined to obey the law of the Lord and to raise their child in accordance with the words and the will and the ways of God revealed to us in Scripture. Mums and dads, grannies and grandpas, aunts and uncles, God has spoken. Are you eager to fulfill the responsibilities that He has given to you in a way which honors Him? Are you eager to fulfill your responsibilities to the children in your care in a way which brings them into the presence of God, which shows them the beauty of the Word of the Lord, even when it's costly and risky and inconvenient, because you know that these words are more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. That was certainly true of Mary and of Joseph. There is in this passage, as unlikely as it may seem when we consider the fact that they lost Jesus for a few days, there is in this passage a good example for parents to follow. They follow the law of the Lord. They take Jesus to the city of God. If you, were a, if you are a Christian who can look back and remember those uh, times that your mum or your dad or your mum and your dad dragged you kicking and screaming to church on a Sunday, then give thanks for those adults in your life who saw what you at that time didn't see. Mary and Joseph raise Jesus in accordance with the Word of God, and in so doing, they offer to us an example 
of good and godly parenting. And we also find here an example for husbands and wives to follow because they are in this together. That's not always the way that it works, but it's a wonderful thing when it is the way that it works. We are either going to be encouraging our spouse to honor or to dishonor God, to grow closer to Him or to wander away from Him. So the question we are posed as we first turn to this passage is what influence do we have on those we love? Are we an influence for good and for God? Are we leading people closer to the Lord? Are we influencing them in a way that is likely to encourage them to know and to love and to honor Jesus more and more day by day and week by week and month by month and year by year? Or are we not that good influence? What kind of parent or grandparent or husband or wife or child would you like to learn to be this year, 2019? What do you want to commit yourself to afresh as we set goals and make plans? I hope that all of us want to commit ourselves to being good and godly influences in our circle of family and friends like Mary and Joseph. That was my first reading of the passage. So I looked at it last week. So I kind of peered beyond the threshold of where we were last Sunday. But actually, there is an awful lot more to this passage, to these verses, than that. You'll notice the first two verses and the last two verses that we read seem to be very similar. Jesus uh, uh, growing up. But there's a very significant difference in these verses. If you look at verse 40, Luke says, Jesus was filled with wisdom. But verse 52 says something which is subtly and yet very significantly different. He says in verse 52, Jesus grew in wisdom. We say, how can that be? Isn't Jesus... Emmanuel, isn't that what we celebrated at Christmas? Jesus is God with us. And if Jesus is God, then how can he grow in any way? How can he possibly be said to have grown in wisdom? Doesn't God know and understand all things perfectly? How can he grow in knowledge or in wisdom? And in this story itself, when Jesus is eventually found in the temple courts, we might expect him as the Son of God, as God the Son, to be speaking and to be teaching and to be correcting. But that's not quite what Luke says. Verse 40 
6, he says, After three days they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Now, it's true that the next verse, verse 47, says, Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. That's true. But it doesn't change the fact that Jesus seems to be learning here. He seems to be acquiring knowledge. And again, that's difficult for us to understand because if Jesus is good, how can he, po- God rather, how can he possibly learn anything? Doesn't he know everything already? God is all seeing, he is all knowing, and Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John says. Jesus himself says, before Abraham was, I am. How can Jesus, who is God the Son, acquire knowledge? Well, we see in this passage evidence for the two natures of Jesus his divine nature, and his human nature. Jesus is one person with two natures. One person, fully God and fully man. 100% God, 100% man. Not 50% God, not half God and half man, fully God and fully man. And neither should we fall into the trap of thinking that Jesus was God, and then we have the incarnation, and Jesus becomes man, not God, and then he's lifted up to heaven again, and Jesus becomes God, not man. That's not what the Christian faith teaches. He didn't lay down his divinity to be made man, Fully God and fully man in one person. That's what he was and that's what he is. That's what the Christian faith teaches. And there are times in Scripture that we see the omniscience of God in Christ. We see that all-knowing nature of God in Jesus. There are times that Scripture tells us that Jesus understood or saw the thoughts of those around Him. Who can hear the unspoken thoughts in our heads? Well, only God, thankfully, we might say. Only God. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Or how about the disciples saying to Jesus, Lord, now we know you know all things. Who knows all things but God? I heard about uh, one of the Christmas presents received uh, a tablet a few years ago. My mum, who's not, she won't mind me saying, technologically minded. My mum bought a tablet, which was a huge thing for her, and it took me and my brother a lot of convincing, but eventually she bought a tablet, and uh, every now and then I say, how's, how's it 
how's it doing? She says, it's amazing. I just, I type in any question I have, and the answer's just there. And she's totally amazed by this. She's had it for a few years now, but she's still completely amazed. Any question she has, she just types it into to Google, and there's the answer. Incredible. But even the internet, even Wikipedia, doesn't have all the answers. It doesn't know all things. Only God knows all things. And the disciples are right when they say to Jesus, now we see you know all things. We see the omniscience, the all-knowing nature of God in Christ. At other times, we see the omnipotence of God in Christ Jesus, the power of God uh, as he he raises people from death. Who can do that but God? He walks on water as he stills the storm with a word from his lips. We see the, the, the power of God in Christ Jesus. And yet Jesus also experienced the limitations of humanity as well. He grows, he learns, he questions. He, he doesn't know the time of his return in Matthew chapter 24. How can that be? How can we hold together these two things that the Bible clearly teaches? That Jesus is God, fully God, and Jesus is man, fully man. That Jesus displays the knowledge and the power of God, knowledge and power without limit. And yet he also displays the limitations of a human being as he grows and develops and learns. Surely he is one or the other. Surely he knows all things or he doesn't. Surely he is all-powerful or he's not. Well, there is great mystery here. And that's no bad thing. I often think to myself, if there were no mystery, if it never felt as we are thinking about God and studying, if I can say that with reverence, studying God, if we never felt stretched, if we never felt it was beyond our reach, beyond our grasp, something would be badly wrong. If we could fit God into our tiny wee brains, then that God would be too small, much smaller than the God of Scripture. We have only ever been limited human beings, so it's beyond our frame of reference. We'll never fully grasp it in this lifetime. It would be like trying to tell an unborn child of the beauty of a rainbow. It's beyond the field of reference never fully grasp it. There is mystery here, but we are able to affirm and to wonder and to worship, and we should affirm what we know to be true, and we should let it fill us with wonder and with awe and with worship. We can say from Scripture that Jesus is able to call on His divine nature with all of its power and wisdom 
and on his human nature with all of its fragility and limitations for the benefit of his ministry, which is ultimately to say for the benefit of his people. When it's in the interests of his ministry to know the thoughts of those around him or to walk on water or to still a storm or to raise someone from death, then he does. But when it's in the interests of his ministry to refuse to rely on that divine nature and to humble himself in order to learn or to tire or to hunger or to thirst, or to suffer, or to bleed as we do, then He does. And so, we have in Christ all that we need. We have a Savior. Only humanity is guilty of sin. We are the ones who have amassed this huge debt to God, a debt that we could never hope to repay. And yet only God is able to pay that debt, to solve that problem. And so how thankful we ought to be that Jesus is man, a human being, a a rightful representative but also God, one who was able to live without sin in our place, to triumph over sin and the wages of sin, which is death. We have a Savior, and we have a perfect priest. He understands us perfectly as one of us, not as an outsider who's done a lot of research on us, but as one of us, as one who has lived in this world. And the world has changed a lot uh, over the last 2,000 years. There were no tablets 2,000 years ago, and yet the world hasn't changed at all in 2,000 years. The experiences of men and women, of human beings, the joys and the sorrows. They've not changed one iota. And Jesus experienced those joys and those sorrows as a human being for us. He understands. He knows. And yet He is in this place of perfect fellowship and perfect relationship at the right hand of the Father. And what is He doing in that place? He is interceding for us. As God and as man, He is able to be the perfect mediator between God and man. What humility and love we ought to see in this passage, in these verses, as we read of Jesus sitting at the feet of teachers, asking questions that Jesus, the Son of God, would subject Himself to that, to having to learn, to having to listen. The one who understands all things, that he would humble himself to not know it all 
is incredible. And his whole life is one of humility and of love. You can't love unless you, uh, unless you humble yourself to love, unless you're willing to put other people before yourself. And so we read on through Luke's gospel, through the gospels. We see Jesus persevere with frustrating, imperfect people like you and like me. We see him suffer at the hands of those that he served and loved. We read of him sharing not only in human life, but in human death. As we read of the ultimate act of humility and love, not as he is born in Bethlehem in such humble circumstances, not as he sits at the feet of the teachers at the temple in Jerusalem to learn, not as he washes the feet of his followers in the upper room, but on the cross as he humbles himself to die a death of shame and of pain for his people in order that we might live by faith in him. There's a really moving moment in this story as Mary accuses Jesus in verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus takes that title, Father, from Joseph and gives it to God. So Mary speaks of Joseph as Jesus' father. But then Jesus says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He gives it to God. That's not meant as a slight or a snub to Joseph. Verse 51, uh, Jesus is obedient to them, to Mary and to Joseph. So he's not meaning to, to, to snub Joseph. But it's a, it's a pointer to the true identity of Jesus. He is son of man. He is son of Mary. But he is also son of God. And he came to share that great relationship with us. He suffered and he served not to keep it all to himself, but to give it to all who would come to him and trust in him to all who would receive him. John says, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That is who he is, his very nature. And yet he gives it as a gift to all who simply trust him, to all who call on his name, to all who receive him as Lord and as Savior. We are adopted into the family of God and we can say with Jesus, Abba, Father. So 2019, make sure that you know Him. Make sure that you know Jesus as Lord and as Savior, that you know God as Father. Make sure that you know Him. And make sure that you are growing in your knowledge and your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. If it wasn't beneath Him, to learn and to grow, then it's so, certainly not beneath us to learn 
and to grow in our knowledge of and our love for our Lord. No matter how many years we have been Christians, no matter how many services like this we have been to, it's certainly not beyond us, or beneath us rather, to learn and to grow in our knowledge of and our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. So may we be able to say with the Apostle Paul that we want to know Christ, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that we have already obtained all this or have already arrived at our goal, but we press on, press on this year to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of us. Brothers and sisters, we do not consider ourselves yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing we do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, we press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Amen. May that be true for us this year and always. Let's